Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Eagle Community Church of Christ podcast. My name is John Gunter. This week is Senior Sunday for our church, so we have uh, our youth minister, Jordan Santos, preaching, and he is covering chapter 19 of the story. This will be our last uh, our, our last sermon on this for the spring. We'll pick this up again in the fall. I'm um, really looking forward to our study we're going to have over the summer concerning the Holy Spirit. Uh, I think it's going to be a, a lot of fun, so uh, keep listening if, uh, if that interests you, and come and see us in person. Uh, if you can, if you're in the area. So again, uh, thank you. We just want to thank you for for tuning in when you do. And uh, just let us know if we can help you in any way. Hope you have a great week. Come see us sometime. And um, my brother Jackson was a sixth grader whenever I was graduating high school. And so, um, believe it or not, I'm feeling a little older, you know. Uh, Abby and I were able to go for the graduation on Thursday. And... uh, it's small town Oklahoma, obviously, and so uh, of course they decided to have the ceremony at the rodeo, and um, we were there for about three hours, and all you could smell was the manure the entire time. So that was fun. Regardless, it was still great, and I know for parents especially, uh, nothing can ruin the moment when you see your child accomplish something that's so monumental, right? Um, my parents, regardless of the smell, they had a smile on their face the whole time. However, I think for any adult in this room, we can look back at our own high school graduation. Uh, No matter how we felt, whether it was excitement or anxiety, one thing that we would probably all agree on is that we had no idea what was going to happen next, right? And honestly, that's not only the fear, but also the beauty of life, right? There were so many things that I thought was going to happen or I wanted to happen that didn't, that I am infinitely better for, right? And I think we could all probably say the same thing. As 18-year-olds, we have hopes and dreams And maturity is not necessarily letting go of your hopes and dreams, right? Um, But more when things don't go your way, how do you respond? And part of being a Christian who is mature in their faith uh, is constantly lining up where my wants and my desires and my fears, uh, how they compare to God's path for me, right? And today, as we continue our journey through the story, uh, we encounter some of God's people who struggle or who are struggling with the same thing. Last week I was gone, but I know uh, you talked about Daniel, who is my favorite character in the Bible, and his story runs parallel to the kingdom of Judah being under Babylonian rule. Daniel had a positive influence on multiple kings. First of all, Nebuchadnezzar, which is such a long name, but it's one that I remember very, very well uh, because it's so funny looking. It has two Zs, and then his son, Belshazzar, also has two Zs, which is fun. Uh, Whenever Belshazzar was killed, he was killed by the king uh, of, of Persia and all of Assyria, which at that time included Judah and all the Israelites, uh, was taken over by the Medes and the Persians. Uh, the other two kings that come up in Daniel's story, uh, and again in the passage for today, are King Cyrus and King Darius. Once King Cyrus took over, Jeremiah the prophet gave him word from the Lord to let the Israelites return to Jerusalem. Uh, from Babylon in order to rebuild the temple there. Uh, In response, not only did he allow the people to leave to go back home, but he also gave them uh, all of the gold and silver and other religious artifacts that had been taken from the temple when the Babylonian king had destroyed it. And on top of that, he gave them uh, cattle and other goods to help them on their journey and to give them a start when they got there. If you contrast that to the Egyptian pharaoh, when he was asked to let the people go, the responses are obviously very, very different. 
Um, so things are going pretty well for these Israelites as they go back home, right? Almost 50,000 people are headed back to Jerusalem. And once they arrive and as they get to work, we get to read how beautiful it can be when uh, God's people are focused on a united task. Isn't that something that we're trying to emulate here, obviously, uh, in this congregation? As we've set uh, on this move from Baytown to Mont Bellevue, we've realized that without all working together, it can be hard to get things done sometimes, right? Uh, but these people, they know what they're doing, these Israelites, uh, and they're inspired, right? Uh, they got this word uh, from God, go back and do this thing. Um, and first thing they do is they rebuild the, offers, the, the altar so that they can sacrifice burnt offerings uh, to the Lord, which for them, for context, this is how they get right with God, right? Now we say prayer, ask for forgiveness, thanks to Jesus, right? Uh, but they were not able to sacrifices uh, to do sacrifices as long as they were in captivity. So this was a priority for them. Uh, and after they do that, they jump into work on the temple. And as they did this, they had very defined roles, right? Uh, which aided in their unity. When everyone has specific tasks, it's easier to work together. You know, too many cooks in the kitchen kind of thing. Um, they had supervisors. They had masons, carpenters, uh, cooks, priests, musicians. And they all filled their role in unity. During the process, there was so much crying. Uh, many of these people were crying tears of joy and excitement while uh, the older people who uh, had been able to see the old temple were finally being able to grieve, right? They were taken out of the land uh, maybe before they got to see the destruction of the temple and they're returning for the first time and they get to see just like a shell of what they used to know as the house of God, right? And so it's emotional for them. Um, and it's funny, the scripture says this, no one could distinguish the sound of the shouts of joy from the sound of weeping because the people made so much noise and the sound was heard uh, far away. And it's cool to see things going so well. They're feeling all the emotions to the max that they can, right? Many of these people had been born in captivity and they never expected to see the pity, the city of their parents. There was uh, this hope of joy that had finally uh, been realized. And it reminds me of the Christmas that I got an Xbox. Um, I was in second or third grade, and uh, at the time, as you know, I'm the oldest of five, and my siblings and I shared most things, right? Because that's what happens when you're younger, and financially, it was what made sense for us. We shared a lot of things, and um, we weren't really in the place to do big gifts for Christmas, right? Or in general, right? We didn't really do big gifts. Um, but I wanted an Xbox so bad. Uh, my best friend, Earl, his name was Earl, had one, and I would go over to his house all the time and play with him, so naturally I wanted my own, you know. Uh, and I asked for one that year, but even um, at that age, I had an awareness to at least understand that it was not gonna happen, right? It just wasn't something that we could afford, which is okay. My parents still gave me an amazing childhood. Um, Whenever Christmas Eve came around, we were at my grandparents' house, which is where we would uh, gather together for family gifts. We did family gifts on Christmas Eve and then Christmas morning with Santa. Um, and we uh, gather around to start opening gifts. And the way that we do it, Abby has laughed at me because she finds it very weird and I understand to a degree. But the way we do it is we are in a circle and we go one at a time opening one gift at a time because my mom and my Nana wanna take a picture of every single person, person opening each of their gifts. 
And it takes forever. Like, we're doing this for three hours, and as kids, we're definitely just waiting for our next turn to open a gift. You know, I don't care what anyone else got. Um, and especially that age, we were very aware of who got what number of gifts, you know? Um, and so the process was a long one. Um, but we're going along, and uh, it comes to my turn to open my first gift. And I can tell from the wrapping that it looks like a DVD, right? It's a little, you know how DVDs are. We don't do DVDs as much anymore, which makes me feel like the old people were like, whenever I was young, like, you don't even know about VHS or you don't know about uh, vinyls, you know, which I knew about all those things. But um, So it looked like a DVD, and I opened it up, and it's an Xbox game. And uh, my first thought is not, oh, my gosh, I'm getting an Xbox. This is so awesome. Uh, my first thought is, oh, this is so embarrassing. I don't have an Xbox. And in my head, I'm like, this is one less present I have because... If I'm counting the numbers, this one doesn't count, you know, because I can't use it. Um, but I try not to show this on my face, obviously. And um, instead of, you know, reacting that I'm disappointed, I respond and I say, oh, that's okay. Uh, I can give it to my friend Earl. He has an Xbox. Uh, and I move on. And a couple rounds go by, and I open up another one. It looks like a DVD, and it's an Xbox game again. And then I, I get that feeling of, like, I've yet to realize that there's a chance that I might be getting an Xbox. My thought is, oh, my Nana misunderstood my mom when she was telling her what to get me, you know. Um, and then it happens again, and I open up another Xbox game. So I've opened up three Xbox games at this point, and I'm feeling dis pretty disappointed because um, it still has not crossed my mind that it was even a possibility that I was going to get an Xbox. And like I said, I'm seven years old, and so... I'm counting up all the presents, and I have three less presents than everybody else, and then I'm a little disappointed, you know. Um, and as we finish up, everyone's open all their gifts. My dad says, oh, wait, we have one more. And they push out this large box that had been hidden, and um, I bet you can guess what it was, right? <laughs> um, sometimes we have this hope for something, that can end up feeling empty because we aren't sure that it can ever happen, right? Sometimes we have this big hope that we're gonna receive this blessing, but in our heads we've already convinced ourselves that's not possible, right? Maybe it's an Xbox, maybe it's this new church building that we're trying to build, uh, or maybe it's a parent who isn't sure that graduation is going to happen for their kid, right? Uh, but these Israelites, they have the same feeling. They'd always hope that they get to go back to Jerusalem and then all of a sudden it finally happens. And things are going great for them. They've built the altar. They've built. They've started building the temple. And however, uh, unfortunately, that did not last. In chapter four, we read this: When the enemies of Judah and Benjamin heard that the exiles were building a temple for the Lord, the God of Israel, they came to Zerubbabel and to the heads of the families and said, "Let us help you build, because like you, we seek your God and have been sacrificing to Him since the time of." A Sarodon, king of Assyria, who brought us here. But Zerubbabel, Joshua, and the rest of the heads of the families of Israel answered, You have no part with us in building a temple to our God. We alone will build for the Lord, the God of Israel, as King Cyrus, the king of Persia, commanded us. Then the peoples around them set out to discourage the people of Judah and make them afraid to go on building. They bribed officials to work against them and frustrate their plans during the entire reign of Cyrus, king of Persia, and down to the rank of Darius, king of Persia. 
And it's funny because, you know, the Israelites, they know exactly what their enemies are trying to do, right? Oh, let us come in and help you. I know we've had problems in the past, but we worship your God now, and we promise we're going to help you get this done. And um, they see kind of through that facade, uh, and they say, no, this is our thing. We can handle it ourselves. But as their enemies persevere in trying to discourage the people, a seed of doubt begins to form. And it's so scary what doubt can do, right? Even when things are going really, really well, just a little bit of doubt uh, can put things to a halt, like it did here. Um, there was unity. Everyone was doing their job. Everyone ex was excited and praising God. But just a little bit of doubt comes in, and it brings fear, and it begins to spread among the people. And the construction of the temple came to a standstill for 16 years, which... In our context, that's enough time for a baby to be born and to grow up and get its driver's license without ever uh, worshiping in the temple, right? And in their context, that's enough for another generation to pass because they had children pretty young. There could have been a child born and within 16 years had another child themselves, and that's a whole generation that does not know God. And... Um, Instead of focusing on building the temple, they kind of turn their attention to focusing uh, on the rest of the city and their own homes, right? They build up their houses and the economy and their personal ventures uh, while the temple remained half finished. How many of us have done that before, right? We convince ourselves that our timing is actually God's timing, or we get discouraged and we retreat to ourselves, or even if we just let fear run our life. I think at one time or another, we've all done one of those things. What this tells me is that, and what I want our seniors especially to learn as they enter into adulthood, is that there are going to be so many reasons to say no to God's call. Um, you could close your eyes, spin around with your finger pointed out, and you can easily find a reason to say no. There's going to be times where things are going well until they aren't, and it seems like everything's that way, right? Uh, and it'll seem like an easy time to give up. I know that we have all experienced this and will very likely experience it again. For one reason or another, the Israelites, just like us, convince themselves to do it later. But then later turns into 16 years. And it's unfortunate how that snowball happens. And how do you think God felt about this, right? He finally uh, gets them out of Exile, and they're returning home, and then they decide, yeah, we can wait a little bit longer. Um, well, we don't have to wonder what he thinks because he tells us. Uh, and Haggai, uh, he's giving him a word, and he says this. This is what the Lord Almighty says. These people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the Lord's house. Then the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Is it a time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses while this house remains in ruin? Now, this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. You have planted much, but harvested little. You eat, but never have enough. You drink, but never have your fill. You put on clothes, but are not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. He repeats it there. Go up into the mountains and bring down timber and build my house so that I may take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. You expected much, but see, it turned out to be little. What you brought home, I blew away. Why, declares the Lord Almighty, 
because of my house, which remains a ruin. Well, each of you are busy with your own house. Therefore, because of you, the heavens have withheld their dew and the earth its crops. I called for a drought on the fields and the mountains, on the grain and the new wine and olive oil and everything else the ground produces on people and livestock and all the labor of your lands. So God is unhappy, right? And a point to be made here is that if you are searching to find satisfaction and providence in anything else other than God, you will not be satisfied, right? And Exodus 34 tells us that our God is a jealous God. And the Israelites have had a history of worshiping idols and other gods, right? We've seen it's been the roller coaster ever since they've left Egypt of, uh, I want to worship you, God, but then there's this other God. I want to worship you, God, but there's this other God. And it's a constant cycle of them turning to idols and other gods, but uh, this time, the thing that's taking their attention and devotion is themselves. Because they were each so busy with their own house, his house remains in ruin. And obviously, he doesn't just mean their literal house, right? It's been 16 years. You can do a bathroom in a few months. Like, it doesn't have to take that long. They focused, they were so focused on the lower story language of this, they had forgotten the upper story. <coughs> but this is their wake-up call. This is an opportunity. Haggai brings them God's message, and they begin to refocus and turn things around, which is awesome. However, at this point, there's a new governor over them. It's been so long that new people are in charge. There's a new governor and a new king. The new governor, Tashnai, begins to question the people um, and uh, ask them why they're building all of a sudden, right? And he sends word to the new king to try and get permission to break up the project again. Luckily for the people, the new king is King Darius. And, and maybe you remember from last week who King Darius is. Um, the king from Daniel and the lion's den, right? Through that experience, um, through that story, Darius learns to never challenge the god of Israel. Darius and Daniel, they'd become very close. And because Daniel had been spared by the lions through God's intervention, Darius had seen who God really was, right? And this ends up being his response to the governor's demands. Now then, Tatsunai, governor of Trans-Euphrates and uh, Shethar Bozani, and you other officials of that providence, stay away from there. Do not interfere with the work on this temple of God. Let the governors of the Jews and the Jewish elders rebuild this house of God on its site. Moreover, I hereby decree that you are to do for these elders of the Jews in the construction of this house of God. Their expenses are to be fully paid out of the royal treasury from the revenues of the trans-Euphrates so that the work will not stop. Furthermore, I decree that if anyone defies this edict, a beam is to be full, pulled from their house, and they are to be impaled on it. And for this crime, their house is to be made a pile of rubble. Which, I know that sounds like such a fun time. It's very intense. And um, notice how he, he says, I decree multiple times. And another thing we learned from Daniel and the story of the lion's den is that when the king had been tricked into sentencing Daniel and throwing him uh, with the lions, he couldn't even go back on his own decree. That's how powerful a decree from the king was that the king himself couldn't uh, take it back. And so the governor, when he's reading this message, he knows that like it's for real. He knows to listen. It's serious. And so now with the support and resources of King Darius, 
along with the new motivation from God, the people finally rebuild the temple. Everyone is so happy and celebrating, and it, obviously it works out in the end. They rebuild the temple. Uh, it goes well, but it, it, it's been a roller coaster up to this point. And you know, as I close out, I want to emphasize some lessons that I think we can learn from the story. First thing I think we can learn from the story is to always be open for God to bless you. Just like the Israelites, they weren't expecting to go home. They didn't think this could ever happen. And a lot of us, we've decided in ourselves that I'm not worth that. God's not going to do that for me. This is never going to happen. Uh, You might not expect God to bless you in one way or another, but you cannot close yourself off from welcoming it in. The second thing I think we can learn from this story is even when you're doing the right thing, sometimes things can go wrong. And that was one of the things that I learned the hard way growing up is that I felt that if I worked hard and I did what I thought God wanted me to do and I followed this path, that things were going to go easy on me. And obviously that didn't happen. And I think we've all learned that lesson sometimes in uh, a disappointing way. But even though these people had been so unified, that's exactly when Satan wanted to intervene. Third thing I think that we can learn from this passage is don't mix up yours and God's timing. It's easy to convince ourselves that we are afraid or when we are afraid or unsure that God must be telling us to wait. And I think that's what the people did here. Instead, when in actuality, God is telling us to trust in him. Don't mix up yours and God's timing. And then the last thing I think we can learn from the story is that God is working behind the scenes. Even though the people had uh, given up for 16 years, they'd moved on to other things that had taken their attention away, God was still working through Daniel. And uh, they didn't realize it because it was going on uh, far away from where they were, but also we don't realize it sometimes that these stories are happening simultaneously because they're at such different parts of the Bible. But while these people were struggling and falling away and taking their attention inward, God was still working through Daniel in order to set up this possibility. Because of God's work in Daniel, King Darius was affected, which in the end blessed the people greatly uh, once they finally decided to listen, right? So if I were to sum these things up, I would say that the lower story is no match for the upper story. And that's something we've seen throughout the whole Bible, right? But it's just as true here for us. The challenge is, again, lining up my desires and fears with God's plan. It's not something that gets, uh, that's ever going to weigh. It's something that's, al- something that's always going to be difficult and something that takes effort, right? Do your fears stop you from accepting God's blessing or following his call? Do your desires stop you from focusing on God or doing his good works? Are you your own God focused on your own house? And these are hard questions. I think we could all say yes to some of them at one time or another. If you're struggling with any of these things and would like the prayers of the church, if you need help finding direction in your life, if you'd like to be baptized in Christ, or if you have any other needs, please come as we stand and sing.